Today I want us to answer an important question, a very important question. What should be our attitude to gathered worship of God? What should be our attitude to communal worship of God? What should be our attitude to our gathering like this every Sunday morning? This is an important question and an urgent question, I think, because we are facing a global pandemic. Gathering for, for worship has become difficult and uncertain. In 2020, as I thought about it, we were banned from gathering for worship for about five months in total. And of course, it was done as part of the government's effort to fight COVID-19, which raises the question, did God approve the ban? Was God happy with the ban imposed? We can now meet, of course, but many churches have cancelled still gathered worship, even though they could meet in a legal and COVID-secure way. They are not meeting because they believe being seen to fight COVID-19 is more important than gathering for worship of God. Are they right? We all, of course, agree that people who are very vulnerable must shield away safely. And those infected with COVID-19 must self-isolate in line with government guidelines to lovingly protect others, not simply because we are obeying the government, but because it is the right thing to do, to do no harm to others. And indeed, we also believe that there may be those that are deeply caring for people, that they themselves must protect themselves at all costs. And as a church, we believe the worship of God must be done in a COVID-secure way. And so we social distance, we uh, do what we can to put posters around. But, and, but yet, there are many professing Christians who argue that we should go beyond that. They argue that even if we are well, it is not important for us to gather physically for worship. They say that because God is everywhere, we can worship God on Zoom or Google Meet or Microsoft Teams. Or we can just worship in our homes. God does not really care, they say, whether we meet physically as a congregation. Are these people right? As a pastor, I come across a few people four to five, I would say, every year would tell me, we are worshiping at home now. We have decided to worship at home for the foreseeable future until we are able to find a church or until God leads us in some way. Is such worship at home true worship or false worship? Is it worship that God approves or it is, is it idolatry worship in man's way? And then there's, of course, for us here this morning, who are here this morning, the weekly experience of worship. If you have been in any church, especially this one, right, you know Sunday worship isn't always exciting, right? Sometimes our singing is dry. We're praying for a pianist, aren't we? There's a reason why we're praying for a pianist. Sometimes the preaching from this pulpit sends us to sleep. 
Sometimes a praying is not fervent as it should be. Sometimes in our gathering, as we meet and fellowship with one another in the task of congregating, we get on our nerves because we are sinners, don't we? We upset one another in different ways. Somebody says the wrong word. So there are many reasons we may find ourselves dreading even coming to church on Sunday. And if we are honest, there are times, even for me, I should be honest, Quite often, I should say, it surprises me that I, I dread Sunday. So as I think about these issues, there are, many, there are issues that force us to ask that question, isn't it? What exactly should be our attitude to gathered worship? What does God expect from me? What does God expect from you? Now, as I thought about this question, I thought, isn't this interesting? We've come to Psalm 122. And immediately it dawned on me that this question is not new. The people of God in the Old Testament, Israel, also had to answer it. God had commanded them to gather physically for worship in Jerusalem. In fact, there were three festivals annually they had to go to, but not just for the festivals. They were encouraged to go there all the time. Just as Mary and Joseph went. And to get there, that's in the New Testament, of course, but to get there in the old and the new, they had to travel miles and face danger on the roads. And on top of that, the capital city of ancient Israel, Jerusalem, was often attacked by enemies. And so you can imagine how dangerous, how uncertain, how difficult it must have been for them just to get there for worship. And I imagine there would have been moments when they asked one another, should we opt out of gathered worship? Is this all of this, the difficulties? Is this worth it? Is it necessary? And King David, the second king of Israel, composed this song we are looking at this morning. This song that addresses this question. Psalm 122. We are looking at this song today not because I, I think this is a topic that is worth looking at. It's a great topic. But we are looking at it because we are in Psalm 122. It just happens by God's design that we are in the song of ascents. And we have come to this psalm. And as I look at this psalm, I realize that this psalm gives us two answers to our question. What should be our attitude to gathered worship? It gives us two answers. The first answer is in your outline is that we must value gathered worship of God. We must value gathering together for worship. Now in this psalm, King David puts himself in the shoes of a pilgrim who has just arrived in Jerusalem. And he starts this psalm by remembering how he got here. Verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. As I looked at that verse, I thought of myself when I was a boy. Long time ago, I think it feels now. I remember as a boy, my parents telling each other, we are coming to get you in Mufrila, where I used to stay in the Copper Belt. We are coming to get you because we are going abroad, right? The family, would you believe it, is relocating to London, just like that. 
I was like, London, where? London, yeah. And my parents, yes, the UK. You get on a plane and you fly out. And of course, a village boy, I was over the moon. From the village to Trafalgar Square in one lifetime. I mean, who could argue with that? I was excited. And I would imagine, as you sit here this morning, you all have memories of being thrilled and being invited to go somewhere amazing, right? You can all think of such. And so when you come to verse 1, we can relate, I think, at some level, at how thrilled the pilgrim is to be invited to go to Jerusalem. I was glad, he says, when he remembers. When they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And that should make us pause, isn't it? It should make us pause because of what we've been learning so far in the Psalms of Ascent and what I said in the introduction. He was not traveling to Jerusalem in a comfortable flight in an A380. I mean, this is not a comfy flight. This is a dangerous donkey mobile trip to Jerusalem. Full of danger and threats. And if I'm being terribly honest, more dangerous than us here even meeting this morning under the shadow of this deadly plague. Because they would have faced those dangers or plagues as well. So we must ask ourselves as we think about verse 1, isn't it? Why is our pilgrim on top of the world? It is not because he's hoping to take selfies on Zion with the high priest, Abiathar. I mean, that's not why he's going there. That's not why he's excited. It is because he's going to the house of the Lord. Let us go to the house of the Lord. What is this house of the Lord? Well, it's not the temple because the temple had not been built at this time. This is David writing. Rather, it is the tabernacle. It is the, if you like, the tabernacle was a symbolic presence of God. It was there in the tabernacle that God promised to commune with his people in worship. The pilgrim is overjoyed at the thought of gathering in the presence of the living God with fellow believers in God. And notice that it is the communal affair of this that really gets to him as he thinks of worshiping God. Look at this one and two. Notice the prologues. I was glad when they said to me, let us, not go by yourself, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet, he says, Prulo, have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. The pilgrim, it seems, has now packed his donkey in Jerusalem. He's already there now. And as he takes it all in, he notices that it is the gathered worship. Notice here, it is a gathered worship that is very much on his heart. He is admiring the beauty of Jerusalem. But notice, it doesn't stop with Jerusalem's beauty. The beauty of Jerusalem points him to the greater beauty, the beauty of the unified worship of God. Look at verse 3 to 4. He says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Right? He's saying we have gathered in unity to worship our God, tribe upon tribe. All 12 tribes are gathered here. And we are as close and as united in worship as the streets, well, as the as as houses that line up our city streets. 
And as, and, and as he thinks about that unified worship, he recognizes that this, this is true worship. He recognizes that this gathered worship is a true worship of God. Why? Because it is worship being done in accordance to the, with the command of God. Don't miss that in verse 4. He says this in verse 3. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, go up, the tribes of the Lord. As, why? As was decreed or ordained for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The psalmist is reminding us that this gathering he wants to be part of is actually what God commanded Israel through Moses to gather physically in a place chosen by God to worship him. If you turn to Deuteronomy 12, verse 5 to 7, you'll find the command there in the fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5 to 7 says this. I can read this for you. It says, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name, and listen to this, and make his habitation, his dwelling, or his presence there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat, listen to this, before the Lord your God in his presence. And you shall, a bit like the Holy Communion, isn't it? A bit of a foretaste of that. And you shall rejoice, you and your households. It's a time of gladness in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Well, let's flip back to, um, to Psalm 122. The point there the psalmist is making in verse, in verse 4, as it says, as was decreed for Israel, the point he's making is that what sets true worship apart from false worship is very simple. What sets true worship from false worship is that true worship is worship done according to how God commands it to be done. Any worship we do out of our own invention is idolatry. It is anathema to God. And here the psalmist confirms to us, doesn't it? He confirms to us that the way God has designed worship is that it should be a physical gathering of a united people in his presence. The Israelites could pray to God on their own. David did that all the time. You, are, you should do that. You should be praying all the time at home with friends. But that is not worship as God has designed it. True biblical worship is a gathering of a united people in God's presence. True worship is not primarily an individual exercise. That's just individual prayer. Even the government knows the distinction, right? It is unified gathering of people to give thanks together to the one true God. And giving thanks is at the heart of worship. Isn't it? To which the tribes go up together, the tribes of the Lord, as was commanded for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, this physical gathering to worship God took place in Jerusalem, right? 
But today, the gathered church of God is the new Jerusalem. We could go to Revelation 21 to see that, as we looked at that last week. But I think we should just go to Hebrews 12, verse 18 to 24. If you turn to Hebrews 12, verse 18 to 24, the writer of the Hebrews says this in a well-known passage. For you have not come to what may be touched, a physical thing, um, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and the tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the ears beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure, verse 20, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feast of gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, the ecclesia of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The writer writer to the Hebrews is in effect saying, Jerusalem is not a place now. It's not a physical location, but a gathering of all who share in a new covenant in Jesus, our Messiah. And just as the pilgrim is excited to gather with others who share in the worship of the true God in Jerusalem, we must be excited to gather physically to worship God. As we gather locally like this, we are the new Jerusalem gathering in worship to God. And this is why, if you know Hebrews very well, we are encouraged to take seriously the physical gathering of the people of God in Hebrews. Or we are ruined. Hebrews 10, if you flick back, if you are still in Hebrews, you flick back to chapter 10. Chapter 10 in Hebrews, verse 19. This is a very important chapter. I'll let you get there. Because it's so vital we, we, we read this and understand this chapter. Hebrews This passage, Hebrews 10, verse 19 to verse 27. Notice how the the author of Hebrews starts. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, of course, since we have confidence, right, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, since we have confidence to enter the new tabernacle, that is Jesus, Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, through his death. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope with our wavering 
for he who promised is faithful. And how do we do this? Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How? By meeting physically, he says. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. And then listen to this, verse 26 to 27. If you listen to anything here, just note verse 26 and 27. For if we go on deliberately, sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Why did I want you to take notice of verse 26 to verse 27? Because it comes after verse 21 to verse 25. I know, it's an obvious point. But the deeper point is the use of adversaries in verse 27. It should sober us up as we read this passage. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fire that will consume the adversary. What is the author of Hebrews saying? The, author of the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, those who willfully neglect to meet for gathered worship, which is what verse 21, verse 19 to verse 20, 25 is about, are choosing for themselves, are placing themselves under the wrath of God. It's that simple. We are siding with Satan by neglecting to obey the command of verse 19 to verse 25. The consequence is that is verse 26 to verse 27. Do you see the passages in Hebrew are underlining the truth of Psalm 122? And the truth is this. All who truly claim, of course, a, a real child of God cannot be under God's wrath. But that's the point, right? If you're a true child of God, you will desire to meet and gather. And if you're not desiring to meet and gather, then that is evidence, perhaps, that you're not a true child of God. And just by that, you're placing yourself as an adversary of God. All who claim to belong to God must value gathering physically to worship God. Well, let's flip back to Psalm 122. And as you do that, now would be a good time for all of us, I think, to pause and thank God that he has enabled us this morning, by his grace, to gather in true worship of God. This is true worship of God. Now, yes, you may not be walking on hair this winter morning, right? <laughs> Freezing morning. But you are here today. And as you are here today, you are obeying the command of the living God to gather and worship. And you're not doing that in your own strength. You're doing that because God, by his grace, has enabled you to be here this morning. Beloved, evangelism is important. Feeding the poor is important. I sit on a charity that helps to feed the poor. Supporting our nation to tackle COVID 
is important. Life matters. We are pro-life, aren't we? But all of those things, listen to me carefully, all of these things are second to gathering together in physical worship. The number one reason God has left the church on earth is not merely to be a witness. He has left the church on earth to have a people that worships him. The church first and foremost exists to worship God, beloved. The plan of God for human history is that one day all those who are served in Jesus will gather physically to worship him. That's what we read in Revelation 7 at the beginning, isn't it? Revelation 7, chapter, verse 9 to 17. We saw that, that future gathering. This meeting is an eschatological, if you like. It's eschatological in nature. It's pointing us forward to that future assembly. You see, God's ultimate purpose for us is to be a new community that worships him in spirit and in truth. And worshiping him physically together. Not as a burden. Not as a second priority that we can just dispense with. But as an incredible, priceless privilege. Why is it a priceless privilege? Because as we gather physically, God is spiritually present among us. And he's present with us here this morning. In a way, he cannot be present with us over Zoom or Google Meet. Those of you who have been attending our, as it turns out, Zoom Bible studies, right? I, I, I've heard me say this a number of times. The Bible teaches us that God is present with us at three levels. The first level is that God is omnipresent. There's no place in existence that God is not there. That's the first level. Even your non-believing friends, in some degree, have access to God. Because God is there. That's what Paul says in Acts 17. He's there. The heavens is seen. Reach out to him. That's level number one. The second level is that God localizes his presence in the new hearts of those he has redeemed in Jesus. God really does live in your heart if you have truly repented. And he lives in your heart in a different way from, well, he lives in your heart only. He doesn't live in the heart of non-believers. That's the point. It's obvious. It's in your heart in a deeper Holy Spirit dwelling way. It doesn't live in dead hearts. That's the second level. The third level is what we're seeing in front of us. In Hebrews, in Revelation, in Psalm 120. The third level is that God is present with us in a special way when we meet physically as his local body. And of course, when we take communion, we are reminded again. God is special with us. Is there present. We are at this moment as we gather the temple of the living God. Right now we are truly worshipping God as he commands. Beloved, if we decided to do this by Zoom and call it worship, it would be a sin against God. It would be a sin against God. Why? Because we would be worshipping God Contrary to what he commands in scripture. He has told you to gather physically for worship. An invention of worship, online, worship at home, whatever it is. It is all idolatry. It is worshiping God 
in the way that suits us. Now, this is not to say there are no things we can do online as a church. Of course, yeah, we do that. Bible study, a call of prayer. But those things are not worship. Those things are not true worship. And it is a sin to misrepresent them as worship of God. But when we meet, as we are meeting now, we are not only obeying the Lord our God. God is truly pleased to be among us, to be in his presence. And that should make us rejoice. It should make us on tender hook to come to church. We are sinners meeting in the presence of the living God. You know, in the Old Testament, no one could get into the presence of God and live. No one. And yet, here we are this morning. In the presence of the living God. And it raises a question, doesn't it? How is that possible? Well, we know why it's possible. Because Jesus died on the cross, beloved. Because Jesus dying on the cross took the wrath of God for my sin. This gathered worship today is reminding you that you are now accepted before God in Jesus. Every time you come to church on Sunday, it's like God has put it as a photograph to remind you that you are home now with God. You can enter the presence of God. And what a wonderful thing to know that God is pleased to dwell with us in Jesus. That in Jesus we can always enjoy the presence of God together. It is beyond description, beloved, to consider that sinners such as us are now in the presence of the Creator God, the author of life, the majestic glory. How do we respond to that? Well, the only way we can respond to that, once it sinks in our hearts, is thanks, isn't it? That is what true worship is. Did you notice in Psalm 125, in verse 4, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed, for Israel to do what? To give thanks to the name of the Lord. True worship is gratitude to God. It is saying to God, thank you. And as we meet like this, we must give God thanks for enabling us the privilege of being in his presence. And this truth should encourage us to ask God to deepen our love for gathered worship on Sunday. Not just to check in, which is, of course, what all of us are tempted to do. I haven't been to church for a while. I kind of need to check in, right? But to love being here like Peter on that mountain of transfiguration when he said, Lord, it is good to be here. And if we are honest with one another, as I said, for many of us, it's been a while since we felt like the pilgrim in verse 1. When was the last time you felt like this one? I was glad when they said to me, with just babbling joy, let us go to the house of the Lord. And for some of us, we've never felt like that. As a young boy growing up, I felt dragged to church. That's because in my heart, I hadn't yet truly repented and come to faith in Jesus. I was not born again. But when God gives you a new heart, it speaks especially to young people, the sign that you are going to heaven, one of the signs is that God places within your heart a deep love and yearning to be in the gathered assembly of God. 
And so perhaps for some of us here, this is a point of examining our hearts and really asking God to forgive us of our sins so we can be truly born again. And the fruit we'll see is that we'll, mommy won't have to drag us here. We want to be here. And for those of us who do trust in Jesus, if we're honest, it's not only that it's been a while since we felt this one, we also do understand as we read it, it crushes us, doesn't it? <laughs> we know that there are many reasons we sometimes find it difficult to be excited about worship. A difficult week can ruin a Sunday. Just meeting on Sunday every week can make it become a routine thing. And of course, sometimes gathering for worship is hard because the nature of worship itself just does not wow us. As I said, it can be frustrating and even boring. Gathered worship can feel hard. But the pilgrim is challenging us in verse 1, isn't it? That we must grow in loving gathering with the sense of God because we are gathering in the presence of the living God. And we can't crank this up. I can't make myself become like verse 1. We need God to work on our hearts, to sink this truth deep in our hearts as we gather. And we need God to convince us that, beloved, there is no alternative to this. Either we worship God like this, or we are not worshiping him at all as he commands. To borrow from the Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way. So that's the first attitude, isn't it? The first attitude is that we must value gathered worship. We must value gathered worship. The second one, and I'll be quick, I know. We spent half an hour on the first point. The, the, the second is that we must care for gathered worship of God. We must care. That's the second attitude. We must care for gathered worship of God. The gathered worship of God, of course, is always under threat from enemies of God within and outside the church. So it requires God's people to care for it. Now God ultimately is the one who cares for his gathered worship. And by his sovereign providence and love towards us, he does it through his people. And he does it through two important ways, as we see in this psalm. First, he gives his people godly leaders. Godly leaders who promote order and discipline that then enables the faithful gathering of worship of God to take place. Look at verse 5. The psalmist recognized this in Jerusalem when he was there. There are thrones for judgment were set. Thrones for discipline and order were set. The thrones of the house of David. The thrones of the house of David is referring to the king through whom God gives his people security and justice so that they can worship him well. So God does it through giving us godly leaders. The second way is that God places a burden on the hearts of his people to actively get involved in caring for the gathered worship of God and each other. Look at verse 6 to verse 9. Pray, David is saying to the gathered assembly, 
Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. They said, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Notice that final verse, verse 9. The final verse is really summarizing the attitude all people of God should have. We must roll up our sleeves to support the gathered worship of God. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And that immediately raises the question, doesn't it? How do I, as a believer, support this gathered assembly? How do I do it? Now, the whole Bible is there to help us with that. But we want to do this expositionally. So we just need to look at Psalm 122 and see what Psalm 122 teaches us about supporting the gathered worship of God. And as we look at this psalm, we learn three things from the pilgrim that we must do to support gathered worship. First of all, we must commit to being physically present for gathered worship. We must commit being physically present for gathered worship. We cannot support gathered worship without being present, without verse 1 being a reality. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We must be here. We can't do this by letter. We can't worship God by remote. We can only do it by being present. So this morning, beloved, let us resolve to ourselves that unless I am unwell or I am in some extreme situation, then I should always be gathered in worship wherever I am. If I'm at home, I must not allow any excuse to keep me from being in the presence of God in this gathered assembly. If I am on holiday, and I need to listen to myself on this one, if I am on holiday, I must find the church and be gathered in the presence of God. If it finds me there on a Sunday, that is more important than looking around Rome and seeing what's going on. The right church in Rome, right? <laughs> if you're in Rome, <laughs> there will be many wrong things going on in Rome. An evangelical church in Rome, if you're in Rome. And we must resolve in our hearts that online worship is not an option. Home worship is not worship. It is nothing more than a promotion of idolatry. So we must resolve to keep away from that and we must encourage friends we know to recognize that. The second thing, so commit to being physically present. The second thing is look out for threats against our gathered worship. Look out for that. Throughout history, gathered worship, as I said, has faced many threats. And there are three threats, three enemies that attack gathered worship. The first enemy is our flesh. It's our flesh. You and I are sinners. Believe you me, your sinful nature does not want you to worship God as God commands you to worship. Your sinful nature wants to worship God the Frank Sinatra way. I did it my way. It only wants you to gather for worship when it is comfortable. It does not want you to die to self. And it is very clever, isn't it? Because when you're here, you must gather for worship. It finds a million reasons not to gather. From my dog is sick to I don't want to meet people in winter. There's a long list that the flesh throws at us on why we shouldn't. Oh, I need a line today. It's been a long week. That's the flesh speaking. 
The second enemy is the world. The world is constantly working against the people of God by discouraging us from meeting in God's presence. And it does this in many ways. You know, many people have been hurt by people in church or treated unfairly. And sadly, they've concluded that they should stop going to church altogether. That's the world working to stop people from gathering. And of course, sometimes the world opposes gathered worship by making us promote ungodly practices in the church that threatens true holy worship of God. The third enemy, of course, is the devil, isn't it? There's a flesh, the world, the devil. Should we say any more about the devil? Do we have to say something about the devil? The devil wants to destroy our gathered worship. That has been his agenda from day one, to break communion with God. The devil does not want us to meet here this morning. So what does he do? Well, he sometimes sends wolves within the church that tell us it doesn't matter whether you meet physically or not. Just do it online. Just worship from home. That's all right. God approves of that. That's the devil, isn't it? And of course, he often uses the powers in the world, the government. You see, the devil knows that as believers, we are commanded by God to obey those in authority. But you know what the devil does? The devil makes the authorities go beyond their God-given limit. And he does it deliberately. He tempts the authorities to start, not just regulate the building or regulate other things, health and safety and things like that. He makes the authorities regulate worship itself. I mean, that's what the Antichrist, of course, will do. That's what the Antichrist has always been doing throughout history, from, be, from Eden to Nebuchadnezzar to the future world government. He tempts us, he tempts the authorities to regulate worship itself. You can't sing. God commands you to sing, but no, no you can't sing. You can't meet physically. Not now, not for a man. Not two months. But God, yeah, but God told me, no, no, but you can't. And all along, Satan knows that it's not the question of why the government is doing things. Satan knows that this is a question of magisteria. It is a question of authority. Who regulates how we worship? Is it God or is it Boris? He knows if we allow government to tell us how we worship, we stop worshiping God. We are now worshiping Boris. And of course, that's not to say we shouldn't be careful. We are voluntarily, ourselves as a church, taking steps to sometimes suspend worship. We've done that. But that's not the government regulating us. That is us submitting to God's rule and authority and asking what God will have us do as a church, under Christ. So we need to look out for these three enemies, isn't it? The flesh, the world, and the devil. They are constantly working to stop our gathered worship. The final thing, and I'm mindful of time. The final thing, we need to pray. So, so we need, first of all, to be present here, right? We need to look out for threats. And the third thing is that we need to pray for the peace of our gathered worship. You know, this is the only direct command we are given in this psalm. Look at verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
right? We must pray that our church is free from the attacks of the world, from the flesh, the devil, and we must also pray that we keep as a church growing in unity. As I thought about this, it dawned on me a very simple point. And the simple point is this. A divided church is not a true worshipping church. I wish I had learned this many, many times ago. But God will not accept worship that's divided. And that's why as a church we must do what we can to safeguard the unity of peace with one another. Show me a divided church and I'll show you an idolatrous church. God simply will not accept worship that is from divided people and divided hearts. True worship must be united. But for us to have such united worship, we must pray for it. And we must especially pray for those who feel down or are grieved with others in the local church. We must pray that day that bridges are made, peace is made. That's why you as a believer, if another believer here has upset you, you must make every effort to make peace for the sake of gathered worship. Because if you're not doing that, you are ruining for all of us. You have a responsibility to God and to others. And don't just pray that bridges are healed. Pray that people, those who are grieved, should actually attend. It's quite important we understand that. Because here is the paradox. The paradox is this. The way we become united is by prioritizing meeting in worship of God. The gathered worship itself fosters unity. True fellowship finds expression in worshiping God together. We are not uniting with people of God unless we are gathering physically with them. And the more we gather physically with them and we worship God in his presence, the more we become united. How can we as a church become united? Well, how can we know we are united as a church? How do we know that? How do you know that? We know that when we are all joyful at being physically together in worship of our God. In fact, our Sunday morning attendance is a temperature for the unity of the church. If the church of God is not united in this thing, then we are not, beloved, united at all. Regardless of how many text messages we send one another, if we are not united in worship of God, we are not yet there. Unity is the tribes of Israel going up to Jerusalem. Gathered unity is worship in action. If you like, gathered worship is unity in action. So we must pray for unity. We must pray also for God to keep us meeting together for worship. Jesus prayed that the church should be one. I think we now know, don't we? That the devil, if he wants to ensure we are not one, how does he do it? How would he do it? Stop us meeting. Stop us meeting. So to summarize what we've learned this morning, and I've spoken to you at length for 45 minutes. You're not going to have another sermon, I'm sure, for a long time when gathered worship. So I hope you're happy for me to speak to you for 45 minutes. And to summarize, therefore, what I've said, what God is teaching us is this. What should be our attitude to gathered worship of God? Well, the answer is, from this psalm are those two answers, isn't it? Our attitude is that we must value gathered worship because God commands us to gather physically to worship and enjoy his presence. Secondly, 
Valuing gathered worship necessarily leads us to care for it. This means being committed to being present for gathered worship. It also means praying for unity of the church, especially during this time, isn't it? When not all of us, even those who might want to be here, are able to be here and take part. When there will be many of us not just being, having to isolate and do other things, it is then we must pray a lot for unity of the church. Well, may the Lord help all of us to grow in valuing the gathered worship of God and actively care for his gathered assembly.